0: ECU, do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Steven Igo on 94.3 the game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 943theGame.com. Now,
1: here's your host, Stephen Igo. Alright, welcome into a Tuesday, October 24th edition of Hoist the Colors. We are live streaming early because we've got the Mike Houston press conference coming up ahead of the UTSA football game this coming weekend. Of course, we do this every Tuesday in season. so We're live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Twitter, slash X, and maybe some other random social media site I'm unaware of that. Philip Pilkington, our producer, has found a way to live stream us on. We've got Joey Football joining us. He is in studio. Damn. I am at the home studio because – I sound like crap. I just realized it listening to myself. Um, but the good news is, guys, I can still broadcast with you due to technology and not risk <laughs> infecting you. So the whole Igo household is under the weather. It's a major struggle, but we're here. We're going to soldier through. I can't even talk, God. <laughs> but... Uh, Appreciate you uh, joining us. We got a lot to discuss. Unfortunately, a lot of bad things. Joey, football, but
2: yeah, how you doing
1: on this fine Tuesday morning?
2: I'm doing great on a fine Tuesday. It sounds like a lot better than yourself. So, uh, no thoughts doubt. and prayers to the Igo household. Obviously, I know when one child gets sick, everyone gets sick, and well, it seems to be the way that domino is falling right now for you currently.
1: That's how it's going. I have to. I have to make a decision. We got the press conference coming up. Do I want to show up and just like stay away from everybody distance <laughs> and like in ask corner. a question yeah like i gotta i gotta decide between now we got about two hours till the press conference begins i do have some questions i want to ask so maybe i'll just pass them along to you joey football and I'll, I'll let mike houston yell at you instead of me hey wouldn't be
2: the first time won't be the last
1: that's fair <laughs> enough we got philip pilkington as well and uh, we might get into the fact that i believe I am back at five hundred on picks after this past weekend. Overall, you had a great weekend. College football picks five and zero, right, Joey? Football? Yeah. I
2: don't
3: know who. I, I am. don't
1: know what your. I don't know what your NFL record was. I haven't looked yet, but like two and three. Yeah. yeah,
3: his wasn't good. My yeah. NFL record was five and zero, though.
1: Wow. So we. I mean, we are all trending upward. We're doing the opposite. And about how you start, now. it's how you finish. There's no doubt. All right, guys. So <laughs> I made the. I made the title of today's show, Where Does ESU Go From Here? And I'll be honest, I don't really know what, what that even means. I, uh, <laughs> I, I did that because, like, you know, my thing, and you know, I meant to talk about this yesterday, but we had so many great callers. I, I didn't really get the chance to share many thoughts on the game, but when you lose, when you lose to Charlotte – it becomes a big picture loss. Like you can lose football games and it can just be a, you lost a football game. But when you lose to Charlotte, the discussion becomes more about the bigger picture, which is what Monday's show was all about. We didn't really discuss much about the Charlotte game. We'll talk about that a little bit here with Joe football. And we'll get into how this thing maybe can be fixed. I mean, this season, long-term, you know, the coaches are still going to show up trying to win this Saturday. A lot of the fans, apathy is going to set in after a while, but there is a lot of big picture discussion we're going to have to have as media members because that's where the fan base is right now. The coaches and players, they got to focus on the next game. I understand that. We'll still preview, talk about the, the next game, but five games left, Joey Football. I guess we'll start with your, your reaction to what we saw this past Saturday against Charlotte, and uh, we'll kind of work away forward from there. But... Just a disappointing 10-7 loss. What did you make of the game?
2: It's one of those games, and it's going to sound like I'm beating the same dead horse. First off, we all said it on Friday show. This is either going to be a 48-45 barn burner or... 10-7, to 13-10 loss. And, and that's what it wound up being because those teams are so similar in how they're constructed with strong defenses and, and a great defensive mind behind everything. And you saw it with how Coach Harrell kind of limited the triple option and stopped all those different things with the old school speed option we haven't seen since... I don't know, 2012 maybe as far as college football goes in in the Cam Newton era. And that's really just what Pogi tried to do and and tried to recreate because he's got such a dynamic guy, quarterback that they went back to. And ECU's defense did the same thing that they always do. They stifled opponents. They stopped them from getting into the end zone often and they stopped them on the goal line and they created turnovers and did all those things that were accustomed to them doing in these situations. The difference is, ECU's offense started to look the part, and then they went backwards. And then they started to look like they had a chance, and then they went backwards again. And Luke Larson punted nine times. I mean, if you want to put ECU in the Iowa category at this point, it's pretty close. And, and that's the problem with it. When you have an offense that was averaging over 300 yards a game last season, and now you can barely put up 100 It becomes one of those things where you don't want to start pointing fingers, but you have to start evaluating who's calling what, who's putting what in certain situations, why is this guy getting the ball over another guy, and that's really what this week's going to be, it's going to be one of those self-reflections, okay, maybe he should get less touches, maybe we should try and get this guy involved more, maybe we should go to this guy on the backside a little bit more often than we were, so it's extremely painful and if you convert two field goals you win that game by three points but unfortunately it comes down to execution and we've talked about special teams too many times for the east carolina pirates over the last five years and that's what it came down to
1: yeah i hate that you know conrad was having a really good season mm-hmm. honestly until he missed that chip shot field goal and just didn't didn't bend it in enough and then uh, you see it all the time second kick same side yeah, of the field you're in your probably head. pulls it a little too much because you're worried about not you know doing the same okay. thing. So and he barely missed both, but at the end of the day, you miss both. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about this offense anymore. I mean, 127 yards. And, and look, I get it, Charlotte is is solid defensively. They got a good defense, mm-hmm. but you you can't just I mean you can't put up 127 yards in a football game no. against Charlotte. I it, mean that's just like inexcusable,
2: especially when like. Forty of them came from penalty yards after a pass interference here or an unsportsmanlike conduct there, and and that's really what comes down to it. Is it wasn't one hundred and twenty seven yards of true offense. Well, the thing is, yeah, you know, this was, was
3: like the ninth least amount of yards ECU's ever gained. Yeah, ever. and the second least ever against a non Power Five opponent. I mean, that's bad. And
1: right? there was a time, yeah. I mean, Lincoln Riley got stifled. He he is. I think 112 yards against Virginia Tech in 2012, 2013. Sounds right. Somewhere around there. It was bad. But that was like elite Virginia Tech defense. And, you know, this is Charlotte, and this is an ongoing theme. Like, that was just a one-off bad game for mm-hmm. Lincoln-Riley. And it's just – look, they tried to give Mason I, – I think the plan going in, Joe, and I don't have any inside information, but just watching it, I think they wanted to give Mason the entire game. Yeah. And – have the chance to go win the game, show how much he's improved. But then, you know, they even gave him the first series of the second half, which I liked mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you want to give him the chance to establish that rhythm coming out of the locker room. But just you, – you just had to try to at that point to try and win the game. Like, it's just – the quarterback situation still seven games in a mess. And there mm-hmm. just – there appears to be no answer.
2: Yeah, I mean – Michigan did the same thing, I want to say it was two years ago, where they were truly running a two-quarterback system, and we saw it hurt them later on in the year, because if you don't have a strict game plan for one guy and how you're going to try and get the football out or how you're going to try and run the offense, you have no plan at all. And it appeared that way, and not insider information, just a player looking on from what he used to see. I thought when they put Flynn in, the entire offense was just kind of like, we haven't prepared for this. Like We don't have that kind of Plan in place. We're like, okay, when Flynn goes to this, we're going to go to these set plays. He ran these in practice. We feel comfortable with him going to this. And and it looked that way for about a drive or two because they're trying to find their footing, things that weren't working in the first half that you wouldn't call again because they got stuffed, got called again. And that seems to have been the same old story of old for Donny K up in the booth as it has been this year. And he's just kind of gone to what he thinks would be the consistent play calls that have been in the past and they aren't working for this team this year. And I, I don't envy Donnie Kay at all, because given how this offense is just kind of holding onto the football or making contested catches, it gets very difficult to call plays as an offensive coordinator. So I understand people want to put the blame on somebody. I don't think it's all on Donny Kirkpatrick. And I think that when you're in this type of system or set and you don't have a true quarterback... You really are throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And without Bond or that heavy home run hitter, like you need to, you're really limited in what you can call.
1: I think the last two games have also shown how much they miss JV Spawn, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy as a freshman running back for him to be that valuable. But they just have no pop to, to really any plays. I mean, it's just they did get the big Edmonds run, uh, but that was about it, you know, off the counter. But outside of that, it was just, you know, just three yards yeah. or negative three yards and a cloud of dust. Um, and two, like the first, first pass of the game, Joe, you know, we get on Mason or the fan base gets on Mason. He throws a dart to 88 and mm-hmm. just the play isn't made. And like that just sets the, the complete wrong tone. He, he played an unbelievable
2: game as far as you watch him and his mechanics and everything. And I understand the stat line doesn't dictate that. But if you look at the seven drops the receivers have, the one Harris doesn't make on the sideline, that puts you at third and two as opposed to a third and ten. The one on the first play of the game with Hatfield, where if he takes the catch down, it's a 15-yard gain and puts you in positive kind of yards to start the things off and get you into a rhythm. They're all small plays, but they can lead to huge components. And we saw what he was able to do when he connected with Calhoun in the end zone, and that just looked like... Something they'd repped so many times before and so many times after will continue to do because it's a consistent play. When you don't make catches, your quarterback gets scared. He tries to make plays. He goes into hero ball mode. And when you go into hero ball mode, you're going to lose. And unfortunately for Mason Garcia, he's had to go into hero ball mode the whole year. So... Everybody's watching from the outside looking in. It's like, wow, Garcia doesn't have it. He can't do it. But at the end of the day, if nobody's open and you pull it and you run for 15 yards every play, at some point they're going to go to QB spy and limit you and you lose three yards and now you're backed up on the sticks and nobody's open. How do you get out of that situation? So it's a difficult thing to look at. And I don't know if it's luck or coincidence or whatnot, but all of a sudden Flynn comes in and now receivers are catching again it's just difficult to watch and, and try and understand. And I, my heart goes out to Mason because he has made some great plays in great situations where he can be the quarterback we know he can be. But Flynn seems to be the guy that just gets the offense going. So if you were going to go to Mason the whole game, I agree going to Flynn because you do want to win a football game. And this is the most competitive of any of the sports that you have this kind of team atmosphere in. And when basketball, a guy's off, you can go off the bench. You've got some deep guys to try and replicate that and kind of recreate it in the aggregate but in football you really do just have to have like your 111th who can push everything
1: I let's get into the discussion of where does ECU go from here we'll start with this season in particular Joe and you kind of hit on it a little bit there I think Mm -hmm. but again (laughs) we all sound like a broken record yeah but I uh you know with Mason Garcia I was all for giving him multiple games to start and see if he could prove he could be the guy but I don't know at this point if you just, like you said, I think Alex Flynn gives you the best chance to win this season. We don't know if he's going to be here beyond this year. So do you, you know, do you go back to Flynn being the starter? Do you look at Raheem Jeter at any point down the stretch here? And offensively, to me, I would start playing, look, I would start giving Josh Murphy a shot, Keelan Robinson, some of these other receivers, Brock Spaulding, more snaps, Jari Patterson, more stats. I mean, at some point you got to evaluate for the future, and I think that starts now in my opinion. And I think, you know, obviously you got to have the quarterback to get them the ball. So what would you try and change offensively? I mean, they've already thrown a bunch of stuff at the wall, hasn't clearly worked. Uh, what would you try and do, Joe, to, to, to maybe salvage some games here down the stretch?
2: It's, it's difficult to sit here and say, here's what they need to do. <laughs> obviously this is a team that, and I've said it before, is a band over a bullet wound there's so many different holes in this boat that's just kind of leaking water that you can't just put a little flex seal on top of it and all of a sudden everybody's okay but the first thing you have to do is you have to evaluate. Do you think Mason or Alex is the quarterback for next year? Are they the quarterback of the future? I mean, Flynn has however many years of eligibility through COVID and the red shirts and blah, 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 blah. You redshirted Mason Garcia last year to try and keep another year of eligibility. Where do you see the program going? And I think that's the question it'll be this week because if you lose this one, it, it truly is mathematically elimination towards the bowl game. And the bowl game is is one of those things right now where, yeah, it's in the – mirror but is it and you have to It's a long way back yeah it's a playoff situation you gotta win every game to get in and i'm not saying they can't do it because i mean crazier things have happened for teams to kind of go on a miraculous run and i mean in the american alone we saw south florida do it last year in the baseball tournament and and this is what sports is about you never count anybody out on a saturday but ecu doesn't seem like that team that has that crazy run in them so if you lose this one i think you have to go to jeter whether it's Tulsa, FAU, I don't want to throw the kid in at Navy. That's that's an incredible environment to even have to tough try defense. and understand tough defense on senior night in Annapolis is its own battle, never mind that you're in an offense that isn't producing the way it has in the past. Um, I think you go to Murphy, Murphy in the slot a little bit. I might try and get Spalding in Murphy out there, kind of go a little one-two combo with some guys who've made contested catches in the past. I have kind of stood on the chair over the last few games that I, I think we need to see more. Kalen Robinson, he's a he's an older guy who's also young. like He has game experience. He came from a Power Five, and as much as we don't put weight into that, it does bring some more playmaking experience. And We saw that with Jalen Johnson last year, and I think Johnson does really well at like the Scottie Pippen role as opposed to the Michael Jordan role, and he did really well when Winstead was the, the go-to last year because Johnson was able to kind of come free on some concepts that he wasn't the primary read for, and I think that's what you have to kind of find and kind of do because this isn't an offense where you have that number one guy and so will be that guy next year. But right now he's not into that development where he can go make the 50 50 catch, get knocked on his butt and then get right back up and do it again. So that's going to take some time. I think when you run the ball, as much as we do, you have to have somebody who's a home run hitter. I don't think we've seen enough of gun. I know he's nursing some injuries, but he really is like the downhill guy you need right now. Raja is running the best he can. It just doesn't look like his knee is exactly where he wants it to be and you can tell by some of the cuts he's not as explosive out of it as he was and i love icy to death uh camaro has been a pleasant surprise so try to get him some more touches and and do some more things also and then the defense is fine defense is young they'll be fine sam Danka is going to be a monster we've seen him in sparing issues and situations but like he'll be he'll be fine he'll replace Jeremy just fine there'll be no fall off from that
3: so Joe, I do have a question to build off mm-hmm. that you brought up. We were talking about it before the show. but I kind of want you to talk about it on air,
2: right? Where
3: that bowl game is still possible. Mm-hmm. If you're a coach, you have to have the mindset of best case scenario. You know, you have to you have to put your team in the place to succeed. So all these changes you were talking about, do you think it's more likely we see them next week if we lose this week than seeing them this week coming up? Because the coaches still have to have the same mindset of yeah. We obviously they didn't make any changes on the bye week. They didn't make any changes on the long week coming out of Thursday night game. Hey, you know what? We've we've committed to these guys, this play caller, all this stuff. Now you've got to ride it out to at least you're eliminated from bowl contention. Is that fair to say, or is that kind of oh, you know spitballing?
2: No, that's it's absolutely what you do. Because at the end of the day, you got to think about this. And I know people always want to talk about how much money Mike Houston's making and the investment the university's made and blah, blah, blah. Mike Houston's in a pressure cooker. His entire livelihood is based on if he can get 18- to 22-year-old kids to play football and win games on a Saturday for 50,000 fans who would rather put his head on a spike to give him his comeuppance. And that's really what it comes down to. So you treat every game from here on out like it's a playoff game. And all these guys talk about wanting to be pros and put in these situations. This, This is how you act like a pro. Win this game. Win the next game. Win that game. Win and you're in. And you've got to kind of treat the season like the playoffs from here on out. If you lose one, yeah, you still have more football to play, but it's not for what you thought it was going to be. And... For a team that had such high expectations this year as far as everybody picking where they'd finish in the conference and predicting bowl games preseason, you want to go out on a good note. So if you lose this weekend, yeah, you start to try and see what you got a little bit, look towards next year because this season's not what you thought it was going to be. But you still treat every game from here on out. If you win next week, the next week after that, same thing. It's a playoff game. You want to win this at whatever cost it is to try and run five together and get the six wins.
1: And ECU is an 18-point dog at UTSA, so it's going to be tough starting this Saturday. But, hey, crazier things have happened. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will answer any questions we got on YouTube. We got some comments coming in. We will also get into some of the big picture stuff, you know, long-term. How does ECU football get this ship fixed? And we'll talk about that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. We'll be right back.
0: Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go on 94.3 the game.
1: Alright, welcome back into the show. Tuesday, uh, October 24th. We are live streaming early. We are also live on 94.3 four three the game and 12 o'clock hour as always. Joey Football is with us. Philip Hilkinton is back in the studio. Kind of the theme of today's show is where does ECU go from here? After a Pretty crushing loss to Charlotte, ten to seven. One hundred twenty-seven yards of offense. Still feels like I'm living in a nightmare. I mean, I don't look. I, I feel for the coaches and players. And Joe, you know these guys firsthand. You've been in that locker room, and I'm sure you. You know, I don't want you to like give away any secrets here, but like right. you text with them, I'm sure, and like try to check on them. So, how do you feel like they're they're kind of doing right now, as far as uh? You know, trying to stay in a positive mindset and continue to try and turn the season around. I mean, that you said that you're the
2: best, and I I don't want to name guys, but, like, a, a couple of the yeah, yeah. older senior leadership guys reached out to me and were just like, hey, you know, we're, we're in a difficult spot, but we're trying to be positive. And they told me, and it was a very nice compliment, and I don't like to brag about myself, but they I mean, were so like, you always kept it so upbeat and so positive. Like, what are some things we can do to try and, like, keep guys up? And I was like, you got to be loose. I mean, so much of this game is spent in like a hyper focus and, and trying to be that guy and that dog, as most people try to refer to it. And I know your best friend, Coach Prime, loves to use that word, I go. So when you do that and you try and hyper focus and do too much, you just wind up playing a little tight, a little strict. You're, you're not loose and especially defense, like you can't play that way. You got to have a little aggression to you, a little a little fun to it and offense I want I wanted to tell the people something, and I, I hope nobody gets offended when I say it. Offense and defense are completely different in your mindset. Like The way it was always described to me was defense is like heavy metal rock music. You're headbanging in the mosh pit, and then you switch over to offense. It's like classical music. You're listening to Bach, Mozart, little Beethoven. Like You're just doing all these little light and delicate things that are finesse games, and, and you want to be physical in the run game, obviously, but like it's much more of a – finesse and light touch as opposed to the physicality of defense so it's two very different sides of the coin that these guys are trying to try and keep each other up from with two very different ways of life so to speak like Jeremy Lewis is hitting somebody in the face every single play and he came from tight end so he'll tell you firsthand it's a complete drop off from what you were doing when okay you might block like two times on this drive or you might go hit this guy in the head to kind of counter this, but it's, it's a completely different thing. So their mindsets are different and what they want to be like defense wants to cause as much chaos as possible and create as much kind of noise as possible. And then offense wants to be calm and, and try and stay in their mindset and their wheelhouse and not do too much. So I just told them like, be positive, be loose, as hard as it is to try and do that with all these things hanging over your head. But you just want to say, be the same guy as you were, week one that you are now like nothing's changed i understand your records not what you want it to be but it's still football it's still a game just play the way you know you can play
1: therapist joey football there he is <laughs> go ahead his take on uh i'm listening <laughs> we will, will add another uh another nickname to you all right let's look at the comment section josh says well this is fun lol uh Thanks, i don't josh. know where ecu football is he says he but it needs to go back to play calling school so, I mean, uh, look, I asked Coach Houston, after the loss to Charlotte, you guys have tried a lot offensively. Do you look at the play caller at this point, Donnie Kirkpatrick, and make a change there midseason? He said, we're not looking for anybody to blame, but it's on me to make the best decisions for the program. It's been three days. It doesn't seem like that move is going to be made now. So, you know, that is what it is. Uh, a lot of people have different opinions on that. So... You know, we all love Donnie, but the offense right now is 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 bad. It just is. And when you're the offensive coordinator, he's going to take some heat for that. Uh We also got Richard Alto saying, goodbye, Astros, go Yankees. Well, last I checked, the Yankees aren't in the playoffs, didn't even make hey, the playoffs. Hey, man, like, that I was hate- a
2: victory for America, Richard.
1: I agree. I hate the Astros as much as anybody, but I can't brag when my team didn't make the playoffs, much like yours, Joe. Hey.
2: You have to, and you know why? Because the Wicked Witch of the West is dead, and that's what that means. Dusty Baker announced he's going to retire, so they're going to be under some new management. I mean, Chaz McCormick wore 104 to the leg last night from Chapman, so that felt like a Yankees victory. Jordan Montgomery went 3-0 O. In this series, just with wins and his whip was incredible, and just his ability to kind of pitch the way that he used to in pinstripes. Uh, it was a win for the Yankees. I understand people want to point out we didn't make the playoffs. Brian Cashman is playing four D chess right now. He sent three Yankees players over in various deals to get them to Texas to beat the Astros. That's four D chess, but I that is impressive. It is I mean, hey, either way
3: though. You know, to bring up your point with the. Dusty leaving? They were telling last night about how bad their farm system is coming mm-hmm. up. I think I think they're on the decline. All right, sorry, I gotta cut you off. The Astros? Yeah.
1: I on agree. the decline. Yeah, let's let's hope so, man. Let's and, hope and the are I-
2: are only but only building as far as their farm system goes and all the deals they made to get big prospects. And then they sign all those crazy free agents. They gave Avaldi into Grum millions and millions of dollars and I mean DeGrom didn't even pitch after I think it was July of this year so this is a team that could win the World Series without arguably their best player.
1: Yeah they just spend money and they don't really care they're kind of like the Mets. Everything's bigger in Texas. um, Josh Price says while we were just yelling out stuff go Cubs and uh, yeah Cubs are another disappointing team. Uh, Cameron asks, Steven, is this the worst ECU offense you've ever seen? Yes, that is my answer to that question. Uh, Denard Robinson was the quarterback under John Thompson one year, and it was almost as bad. I don't think it was as bad. Uh, Michael Jones wants to know, Joe, is is Coach Houston as stubborn in the locker room as he is in public? So people have this perception of Coach Houston that he, like I guess, isn't willing to accept blame and always talks about executing better with the players and all that, given how he he talks at press conferences. You know, is is he like that in the locker room when he talks to you guys? I've always gotten the vibe, he's much more open and honest in the locker room. And he just, you know, there's certain things he says at a press conference that he he doesn't say in a locker room. There, I want
2: to make sure I say this while also protecting the integrity of the locker room. So I don't get my phone blown up by coach Mike. Love you, Houston. Uh, There have been times where, like, tough games. I mean, you, you lose a close one, or there was two or three defensive busts that were like huge. We've been ripped. Like Sunday, you come in and you're watching defense as a unit, and all of a sudden he grabs the clicker and he's like, "That tackle's missed. That tackle's missed. That tackle's missed." And that's that old school way of coaching. And we've heard Saban and Belichick always do that in their team meetings, and that's what separates them. And even Kirby Smart, in some instances, has also done it, from reports. And that's, that's what you want to do. You want accountability in your program. You want to make sure that you are telling the guys that I expect more from you because I know what you can do. He really does – he is such a head for the game that you don't notice it, but he does also sit in on some offensive meetings. He's like, hey, with this coverage, this guy's got to get the ball versus this guy, or this guy's got to run this route a little better to protect this throw. And he's so far ahead of it as, as a head coach, and it's very different when you have a head coach who's not a play caller. So – That part you don't see because you're not like, okay, he's calling the plays on offense or defense. Like, what's he doing? Is it just game management? He's he's in every aspect that you could possibly think of. He sits in meetings during the week. He's in scout team meetings at some points. Just kind of like, okay, this guy runs this route a little more like this when they're in this coverage. We need to replicate that. So he is so ahead of it. With the players and in the locker room, he's not going to be one of those guys who's like, I can't believe this guy dropped this pass to lose us the game. That's not who he is. He's the first person to take blame. And he says that we win as a team, we lose as a team, and he's going to protect everybody's best interest. He's never going to go up to a podium and be like, yeah, he should have made that throw, or he should have dropped that, or he shouldn't have dropped that. And that's just who he is like he's just a positive guy when it comes to that and obviously yeah we see the the Houston stare when he's angry and and when he gets fired up but you know at the end of the day he's also got everybody's back in that locker room
1: he does seem like a coach that is going to try and have everybody's best interest in the locker room first and then Mm -hmm. you know the outside and I said it yesterday I think there are some things he says at the podium that he could handle better for the fan base and I know he's trying to protect the locker room at the same time. I guess there's a balance there you have to find, which yeah. isn't an easy balance. No, it's because, a Yeah, rope. I mean, it's, it's, and especially when you're losing games, Joe. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear what you say to begin with. And then when you do talk, they're going to find something wrong with it and pick on that. I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, Jerry says, I think we as a fan base need to hear some passion from Coach Houston that this is unacceptable. He's talking about, the, I guess, the, you know, the loss of Charlotte, the 1-6 start. We'll see what he says today. He's got his press conference coming up at 11.30. All right, let's get into the discussion of long-term. Where does ECU go from here? And this is, look, I mean, there's still five games left. We addressed that earlier. So, still football to be played. This is just us talking going forward. I, You know, for me, Joe, I, I, I like Coach Houston's culture. Mm-hmm. I like his mindset. I think offensively what we're seeing this year is – It's going to be very tough to have this style of play and basically count on getting good enough offensive linemen year in, year out, and to where you can be a run first, balanced team. I'm not saying you can't be balanced. You always want to be able to run and pass the football. But you look historically, outside of Skip Holtz, when he had a NFL defensive line and, and Chris Johnson, the best ECU coaches have use kind of an unorthodox pass-first system for, mm. to maintain success at ECU. And, you know, you can make the argument, is that championship caliber for football? Because Skip Holtz won a championship. Steve Logan uh, did, did not win a Conference USA championship. Of course, he was, you know, part of an independent for a long time, won some bowl games. Ruff McNeil did not win a championship. So there is a fair counter argument, but you also want to win games to begin with. So, I don't know, Let's start, let's talk about the offense first. Like, do you feel like you have to tweak the offensive philosophy based on what we're seeing this season after this year.
2: I I definitely think you have to tweak your philosophy. And I know Coach Houston has, has built this program on running the ball and stopping the run. And I'm not disputing that by any means. I mean, you run the ball, you win games. You stop the run, you win games. And that's that's how you do it. But the, the old moniker of defense winning you championships, I think, is a thing of the past because – offense is so prevalent in today's game, and you see how it's kind of influenced the NFL now. I think there's only four defensive, and we put defense with air quotes, head coaches in the NFL that are actually like the head coach, so to speak. And and I don't mean like, oh, they let the Dan Quinns of the world just kind of run the defense like a head coach down in Dallas. I mean like true defensive head coaches. And it's no longer what it used to be where you have to stop them and you have to limit offenses from scoring because at the end of the day, offenses have gotten so creative, and we see offenses that are putting up 400 yards a game or 42 points a game. People are going to score, and there's just so much space now and the way the game's opened up and how you can kind of create concepts with all these different things that you almost have to evolve. I don't want to say you go pass first by any means, but a true spread as opposed to kind of the hybrid West Coast thing we're doing might – Yield a little more result. I'm not saying you have to go full air raid, even though you should always go full air raid. Shout out Michael Leach. May he rest <laughs> in peace. But that's what you need to do. You have all these receivers. You you claim so much that you have these dynamic playmakers and Jari Patterson and Brock Spaulding, And then you've got Chase Soul, who's going to be a monster in about six months time from now. And Big John gets him in the weight room and he gets him good. And then all of a sudden, like you're a completely different team with a a departure from what you were and you kind of hand over, I don't want to say play calling, but some play concepts to some of the younger guys who have some different influences on the staff. And... I do unfortunately think, and it hurts me to say, I think there might be a change in play caller towards the end of the season. I I don't know if Donnie Kirkpatrick is let go from the staff. They might still keep him around offensive coordinator as a quarterback's coach in one of those roles. But I do think somebody else will call the plays next year. That's where my heart leans to, and it's difficult to say because I love Coach Kirkpatrick, and he gave me a lot of opportunity when I moved to tight end and really just kind of stood by me and understood everything I was going through in a transition in a position I'd never played before. But it's one of those things where you'd lean and you'd sit back and go, well, it's got to be easier than you'd think on paper, but it's not. And play calling is an art and a lot of people can't do it. And we've seen some people kind of flounder when they try to do it, that they were supposed to be this guy in certain situations, but there's another large asterisk to this team. And that's if Blake Carroll sticks around, if somebody calls and Wants Blake Harrell to come be a power five defensive coordinator or even a FCS head coach because of what he's done here. I, I I don't think he can say no to that. And obviously it's a decision for his family and his wife and his two girls. But at the end of the day, if you get the chance to go be a head coach somewhere, you can go power five. You, I don't know if you stick around at East Carolina. So then you've got to promote somebody either within this staff or he takes that staff with him, and you've got to hire two coordinators in one offseason. It might cause an even bigger problem. So you have to kind of wait and see how that plays itself out.
1: We'll get into the defense more on the other side. we got a question about retaining players, and really a lot of guys left with eligibility. We'll get into that defensive staff as well. This is Hoisted Colors on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. What's
0: happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU Athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen go on 94.3 The Game. All
1: right, welcome back into the show. Tuesday, October 24th, it is UTSA week. We'll talk about that game as we get closer to Saturday. Also, we'll talk some hoops throughout the week as we get closer to tip-off. I want to first mention our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. It is Julius Wood, the East Carolina safety, senior safety, had 10 tackles. He had his first interception of the season, had a nice return, almost scored. I won't see him on offense, to be quite honest, but that's a uh, story for another, another day. Uh, 10 tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, he did not miss a single tackle attempt. Julius Wood having a great season. He played 58 snaps, which was the second most on the team this past Saturday. Again, Julius Wood having a great season. He is our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. Stay protected this hurricane season with East Coast Agency, your trusted independent insurance partner. When the storm hits, you'll be glad you chose ECA. Their comprehensive insurance plans are tailored to keep you and your loved ones secure. Remember, it doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Call ECA at 910-446-5061 or visit their website at www.eca-insure.com. Joe Football, Joe Football, Joey Football is back <laughs> with us. Uh, not going to call him by his other name uh, that starts with a P, but we are going to call him Scoop <laughs> Sampson. I was going to call him uh, Meteorologist well. Joe
3: after the
2: other day. Jo-
3: I think it was Dude, Joey. Dude, he delivered
1: weather. a st- stunning stunning weather report. That was uh, <laughs> that was true, truly amazing.
2: Hey, got to be ready. Knees bent.
1: Nice job on the pregame show, guys, as always. Oh, thank um you. Julius Wood he's having a heck of a year Joe and and you know I think he's got a shot to play at the next level.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, when he came in, we were all kind of like, okay, like we got another Juco guy. Is he going to kind of play out the way we think he is? And my god. Julius Wood is I'll say it. He's the best safety I've ever played with. And I've played with some good guys. I mean, DJ Ford was unbelievable with his length and the way he kind of cover, And Tegan Wilkes, one of the hardest-hitting guys I know. I mean, I've been hit by him a couple times, and they still kind of hurt a little bit in the rib cage when it rattles a bit. But Julius Wood just covers the alley so well. And that's what so many teams are looking for these days are those kind of hybrid guys who can play down in the box as well as play back and kind of cover. And, I, I mean, like, Dion Sanders used to say, like, oh, of the world is covered by land. The other is covered by me. I mean, Julius Wood might be in that category. There aren't many people that can outrun him or kind of do anything to confuse him because he's so cerebral in his understanding of the game and concepts. And Trip Weaver's done an unbelievable job at just coaching him up and kind of creating him into the player he's been and just letting him blossom in this defensive system. And Coach Harrell's done a great job also at kind of letting him blitz some and run free as a pass rusher and just kind of get some hits and create chaos. And that's... I can't speak enough about his ability to kind of just take over a game. And that's very rare to say about a safety, but he really does. I mean, he stops plays here. He limits what you can do outside. He limits what you can do when you want to go to the pass. And then we saw it last week. He stopped the option completely. He started just hitting number four, and all of a sudden the pitch was no longer there or it was a forward pass or out of bounds, and that's what you have to do. You just have to strike fear into the heart of the opponent when they run the option, and that's what Julius Wood does.
1: Unfortunately Julius Wood is in his last year of eligibility, so this will be his final season yeah at ECU Jeremy Lewis the same way really outside of that you got Jack Powers as well mm. outside of that Joe you got a lot of young town on this defense and we see different guys step up every week you got a lot of old town that has eligibility remaining as well basically right. the whole defensive line thick poppy great name asked realistically how many defensive players do you think we can retain? He says out of the eleven starters, only two are seniors. So I, I made the point yesterday, this is a big key for me. Going into the offseason, you're gonna have to fix the offense. That much is clear. If you can retain the defense, we talked about Blake Carroll earlier. You do have Trip Weaver on staff who could step into the D C role. Mm-hmm. You know, given his background under under Harrell and the fact he's kind of he was gonna be the D C at Western Carolina before coming here. Yeah. But from a player perspective, Joe, how you know, what's your vibe on these guys? I mean, there are other, there are gonna be NIO opportunities. We saw it with uh, guys in the past, but this this group seems pretty tight knit. So what's kind of your gut and, and how important will it be to try to keep those guys here? It's extremely
2: important to keep them here. So that's, that's first and foremost. If you can keep this defensive unit together, and I say unit because it really is like four deep at this point where you just have guys coming off the bench who can fill in and there's no drop off. If you can keep them together, you're going to be just fine. But that, it comes to a point where it gets difficult to try and predict it. Because if Coach Harrell leaves, some guys might want to follow him. Some guys might want to try and seek other opportunity at a higher level. I mean, there's there's so many different variables, and we haven't finished the season out yet. And now NIL is its own thing. And we saw how Latrell Scott and Coach Foster just kind of left in the middle of the night. And I don't mean that in a rude way. Like, it was just kind of unexpected how they took the jobs at higher positions and and then all of a sudden there's turnover at that spot because some guys want to transfer out because they were playing for other coaches and, and so on and so forth. But the problem with this defense is you can't predict it because they are so closely knit. And you brought that up. This D-line has been together since they came in, in in 2020. And then Lampley gets added last year and Mims gets added last year. And these are guys who now are just part of the bond of the D-line. And and they're so tightly knit that they, they are never not together. I mean, you will never find... Dante or Deontay Johnson and Xavier McIver separate or Elijah Morris for that matter and Surad Radware and like the four of them that core four really are just like always together and then Lampley and Mims are always with each other and they're always with that group and then any anytime you're kind of in that D-line room like you're just so close and me and uh, D'Angelo McKinney are still in the group chat with them, and we're not there anymore, but you're still so close with those guys just because of how Coach Tesh has kind of built that room. And that's another factor also, is these position coaches, if they decide to go off and and seek other opportunity, do, do you retain that room? And that's when you have a team like this, and not just by record, but when you have talent like this, it's very difficult to retain all of it. And I don't want to say you're not going to, but depending, it's so dependent on if Harrell leaves. If Harrell leaves, then you're going to start to see some dominoes fall. And it's very hard to retain your staff when you hire somebody new. And the same thing goes for offense. I mean, if you get rid of the top guy, usually all the trickle down is his guys, all the way down to the offensive analysts. So somebody's getting brought in the top and it trickles all the way down. It's very rare that you see a defensive coordinator leave and one guy gets promoted and everybody sticks around. So that's the other part you can't predict, is based on other coaches leaving. Because if Roy Tesh leaves, who's to say all the D-tackles stay? Because they love Coach Tesh, and I love Coach Tesh. He's a very close friend, and he's been there for me throughout the end of football and just always checking on me. And that's just the kind of connection he has with people. So if he leaves, do they follow? Do they stay and stick around because they want to play for the new guy coming in? You can't predict that part.
1: Yeah, a lot of variables in play. And, you know, Tesh has always been under Coach Houston, mm-hmm. I feel like, in his coaching career. So, I think there is some loyalty there. Blake Carroll has been under him a long time, same right. as Tripp Weaver. So, I feel like you'll have a shot, Joe, to keep the majority of that side right. of the ball together. But there's always variables, mm-hmm. and you can never predict it. But I think it's a I think it's a fair discussion. All right, let's take our final break when we come back. I want to touch on NIL and how important that's going to be this offseason. I really feel like ECU has to evaluate what it's doing from an NIL perspective. We'll get into that a little bit before we wrap up the show here on this Tuesday. We'll be right back.
0: I go. Back to go, Hoist go. the Colors with Steven Ico. 194.3 The Game. All right, we're back here on this
1: Tuesday. we got Joey Football, Philip Pilkington producing. Got a few minutes left, so we'll dive right into this topic quickly. NIL is ever-changing. It's only been a few years. People are going to want a quick fix after what we saw on the field this season, and I think that's fair. But to do that, realistically, especially in offense, you're going to have to go, I don't know if by the right word is the right word, but essentially that's what you're doing. You're going to have to go and tie some transfers. With NIL funds, and right now a lot of the NIL funds, Joe, is being used on guys on the team, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is great. You know, I'm happy for them. First off, ECU, Pirate Nation, need to get behind NIL, quit beating around the bush, do what you can to support the guys so there's more funds to use and help ECU win. But how important do you think establishing an NIL presence for transfers is going to be a key to maybe getting that quick fix?
2: It's extremely important. And I'd like to ask Philip, can I get the little Boneyard Collective uh, ticker at the bottom and then a nice logo behind me? Because people, open your checkbooks. If you want the quick fix, you do need to entice guys who are fighting against these new programs. And I mean, you don't want to use Rice, but Rice is a private institution with a lot of money. And Charlotte has a ton of donors who are trying to build this program up for a football team that's only been around for 10 years and FAU always has great financial backing because of their area and Boca. North Texas has long been one of those teams that just kind of sneakily sneaks up on people and just creates that kind of I guess a mismatch if you want to say it in the conference with what they have in their market and all these new teams and all this new money and then i love ecu but like we're not where they need our our money to be at this point and that's what people need to understand is if you're not trying to help push the checks forward somebody else is at the other schools so i don't say it on behalf of anybody else but as someone who has been in that situation and knows the unfortunateness of what has become free agency in college football and and people just kind of deciding to so they can go get paid you have to build around it. So if you want a quick fix, donate to the Boneyard Collective so the Boneyard Collective can go out and give NIL deals to athletes who would like the opportunity to come play for the greatest university in the world. I bleed purple and gold. I'll always bleed purple and gold. And if we can build this collective to what it needs to be, we can create this kind of offense we want it to be and and kind of flip the script from what it has been this year.
1: Hey, and uh, we got some comments already. Chase on Facebook says, "Absolutely has ruined college football." What does an eighteen, twenty-one year old college student need for that much money? For well, Food. I mean, if ECU is not, yeah, money. if ECU is not paying it, somebody else is paying it. So I mean, look, I mean, if hey. ECU fans want to be stubborn and not do it, that's their right, but it's. It's going to add up over time
2: there it is the the days of the mcdonald's bag full of 100 is is gone i mean tennessee got in trouble for it and obviously other schools have kind of been caught doing that underneath the table now it's out in the open ncaa opened up a Pandora's box they can't close and i've long said that but now this is the way of the world you either need to win this way and we've seen Saban's kind of falling back a little bit because he doesn't want to do it this way or you get left behind and that's just going to be the answer to it
1: all right, Joey, great stuff today, man. Uh, we'll have more Team Boneyard talk really towards the end of the season. I'm going to get, you know, Hank Hinton back on. He, he helps uh, – he's on the board along with several donors. We'll get some of those other board members on just to talk about the best way to, to format it going forward. Because at the end of the day, it's, the, it's Team Boneyard's call how to distribute the money. I mean, they can rely on sources, but it's, it's kind of their call. They can If they want to go out and buy a quarterback for a million dollars, if they raise that much money, they could do it. So and it's it. their call. So it, it it is what it is. All right, Joey, appreciate it. Philip, thank you guys for uh, helping out today. It's been a struggle in the Igo household, but uh, we made it through this Tuesday's show. We got the Coach Houston press conference, of course, coming up here shortly as well. Uh, Wednesday, we will have Bobby Harwood in studio. I believe we'll continue our. ECU football discussion, and we'll also talk some MLB playoffs. At that point, we will know the World Series, so we'll get into that. We'll talk college football as a whole and more. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon. We will see you then on Hoist of Colors.
0: This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game.